Greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. We're now in lesson 37. And last time we finished with uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 29, verse 1. Let me repeat that one. Uh, where Moses is now speaking again to the new generation that is entering into the land, all of them uncircumcised still at this point. And yet God makes it very plain. If you're going to enter into the land, you must circumcise in the flesh. And then... Uh, we mentioned before that, and you should always remember, we're talking about the physical descendants of Israel that's applicable to them, and even in the future it will be the same. All the nation of Israel that will be brought back to the land, as they come before God, before the temple, God makes it very plain, you all must be circumcised, not only in the spirit, but also in the flesh. And that's not applicable to those who walk in the spirit that God grafted from other nations, if they are not becoming a part of the of the tribe of, uh, that is, uh, of the nation of uh, Israel. And uh, for them, God made the exception, at least at that point. Uh, we don't know how it's going to be in the future. But uh, we read here in uh, chapter 29 and verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And as it is worth repeating. Some people think that there was the Church of Israel and now we are the Church of Israel. That's a dispensationalist theology and their, you know, the replacement theology. Uh, they have it in different forms. You know, first Israel, second Israel, first church, second church. It doesn't work like that. God made it very plain, even though people deny it. And some people think that they know it better and they, and they preach it. God made it very plain. Once Israel, always Israel, it's a continuum. And so it is also about the Church of Israel. Once the Church of Israel, always the Church of Israel, it is a continuum. People claim it's not. And God said, it is. Very plain. And you have a choice. You either believe God or believe man. And as you go further and further into this study, until we reach the end of the book, you'll see it extremely, very clearly. And maybe some of those who believe otherwise, they know may read it all over again and uh, refresh their minds and begin to think properly, as God does, not as they uh, came up with their own ideas. Or maybe they learned it somewhere else and took it for granted, misunderstanding the scripture. And so Moses, in verse 2, it says, Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants, into all his land. Now, when he's saying that, obviously, only the few that came out of Egypt and uh, were under 20 by the time God says for the rest of, uh, of Israel, you're not going to enter into the land. Well, they're the ones that saw it. Those who were born in the wilderness in the past 40 years, they did not. Uh, nevertheless, this is what Moses told them. And then uh, he said, well, you, you were witnesses in that sense. See, that's what the, the, the church is all about, body of witnesses. See, oh, when I say church, always think Edah. You know, it, since it's not being translated properly, at least in your mind, when you say church, always know what it means. You see, Edah, body of witnesses, from the word witness. We covered that, you know, uh, thoroughly earlier. So you're going to have to reorient your thinking. And whenever you think church, think Edah, body of witnesses. And if we're not witnessing to God, to his law, to his plan of salvation, to the truth, you know, to the good tidings, or it's called uh, later on gospel, that is God's tale, that is good news, whatever God said, you know, uh, 
uh, we have to, to think uh, through the mind of God, not our own. So when he gives somebody a name, when he gives the nation a name, we have to know what it means. Otherwise, we miss the whole point. And we begin to invent our own doctrines and having our own understanding, and our puzzle is confused. And it's not the right picture. We've got to have the pattern in order to be able to do, put all the pieces of the puzzle together in the right order. So we get the picture that God intended for it to be, not the confusion that comes out of putting the pieces of the puzzle in the wrong place. You may have all the pieces of the puzzle, but if you don't put it in the right place, what do you get? You see, so it's not, you know, uh, good enough to have, you know, the pieces of the puzzle, pieces of bits and of information and truth and all that, but got to have it in the right order, and, you know, the right pattern. And so Moses is telling the people of Israel, well, you are witnesses, at least some of you. You've seen all those things, so now you can go and witness to others. And then let's read in uh, verse 10. He says, all of you stand today before... Again, in verse 10, Moses telling uh, all of Israel, all of you stand today before the eternal your God, your leaders, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel. And obviously, everybody, everyone else, as it says in verse 11, your little ones and your wives. Also, remember, the ones that God grasps, he's been doing it from the beginning of time, as we mentioned earlier, with Abraham. Abraham, when he heard from God that it's about time, i got to get circumcised also in the flesh. That's going to be talking of a covenant to you and all your physical descendants. And so, he said, you know, we read there that he went and circumcised all of his, all of his household. Because he wanted all of them to be a part of the covenant. And they being men of faith, since they were been following Abraham all this time. You know, thy will be done, not mine. Then he said, oh no, I'm going to run away from that. They submitted to the circumcision so they became a part of the covenant. And therefore they understood, knowing the God of Abraham, and knowing Abraham, and knowing that he spoke to Abraham, that if they will be obedient like Abraham is, they will be grafted into his promises. And God is, you know, very generous in that sense. He doesn't say only you and nobody else. He always allows some, some uh, individuals here and there, but only individuals. Remember? He told Abraham, you get out of your country, out of your land, your culture, your people, and all that. I don't want anybody here. But he allowed few still. And so that was a pattern that has being repeated since that time. And that's what the, the so-called New Testament church is all about. The commonwealth of Israel and those that God grafts into it, not to replace it. And so this is what we read here, and we read it throughout the scriptures. What God says, uh, your little ones, your wives, and also, that is, also the stranger who is in your camp. All of you are standing here before God, from the one who cuts your wood, to the one who draws your water. And they had a lot of servants, so they brought with them out of Egypt. And others had joined them, you know. The, the, in Hebrew they called us Asuf. In other words, gathered, uh, sprinkled, you know, gathered together and came with them. Because they said, well, hey, God is on your side, we want to be with you. So they forsook Egypt and came along with them. And also now and then, you know, they joined the rebellion, and also now and then, uh, many of them continued to worship their own idols. But in either case, God allowed them too to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel, even at that time. From the beginning of time. So, when you read the New Testament, read that in mind. You see, you're reading the background of the apostles, who knew the Holy Scriptures from their youth. Therefore, they, 
When they spoke, if you don't know their background, you don't know what they're talking about. And you don't understand them properly. And so that's what he's saying here. All those people, the strangers that got grafted in essence, they're all standing here with you. And in verse 12 it says, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God makes with you today. All the Israelites and the individuals of the strangers among you. All of you are going to enter into the, co the covenant. You see, this way you have better understanding when you come to read the, the writings of the disciples, what they are talking about. And why God sent a specific apostle to the circumcision, because he wanted also some of the strangers who are individual, uh, who are fearful of God, and uh, Peter told Cornelius, you know, I receive, I perceive that uh, the truth that God is not a respectable person, but in every nation, and obviously God sees them all around the earth, all around the world, so to speak, in every nation. Well, you know, that people who are distant, much more distant than many who call themselves people of God. Honest people, and God has respect for them. And that's what Peter says to Cornelius, who was one of the strangers. And yet God allowed him to enter into the covenant, this time the spiritual covenant. As he always did in the past, God is not a respecter of person, ultimately speaking. He's the God of the whole earth. Paul said it. Is he God of the Jews only? No, he's also the God of the nations, or the Gentiles. And so all of them are entering into the covenant, but it's only, always remember, it's only the minorities, only individuals that God grabs, and God wants them all for long, because God loves all of them. But as a principle, Israel is the only nation, as a nation, descendants physically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are members of the body of Christ, of the body of God, of the bride, of the wife of Israel, past, present, future, it's one. That's what Revelation 12 is all about, and not as some people think, or something new. Verse 13, that he may establish you today as a people for yourself, you Israelites and some of you strangers, and that he may be God to you, Elohim to you, a deity to you, just as he has spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, and he is speaking specifically only about Israel, obviously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But those who are following the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though be strangers, they become, in that sense, sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So it's still the same pattern as later on came in the new, in the new covenant, at least a part of it. Verse 14, I make this covenant and all, and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, in speaking about the marriage covenant, which is a continuum, and the God, the bride of God, that is a continuum, on a generational basis, you know, whomsoever God adds to, that's, you know, those other ones that become a part of the bride, as for the rest, they become children. And he says, so I make this covenant with you, who stand here before God, as well as with him or her, who is not here with us today. Because God said, all the seeds of Abraham, from the moment Abraham was brought into the covenant, to the last person that God is going to resurrect, in the second resurrection, all of them are going to be a part of this marriage covenant. As for the rest of humanity, they will be the children of this covenant, not the wife. And that's why at the end of the book you read in Revelation, and the Spirit, speaking about Christ himself, and the bride, 
Israel of God, the physical Israel that now became spiritual Israel, and some of those grafted to them. See, when some people read about the Israel of God, they misunderstand what Paul is talking about, having no background. And so God says, all these people are going to be uh, in this marriage. And so, this is what Moses is saying here very plainly. That's why God always said, you know, even when he came in the flesh, if you don't believe Moses, how can you believe me? And that's why in the parable that he gave about Lazarus and the rich man, where Abraham is saying that parable to, to the rich man, well, they had Moses and the prophets, and if they don't believe him, the one rose from the dead, they wouldn't believe him either. Because that's the foundation of the faith. And people say, well, that's old stuff, that's mosaic, that's not for us. That's of the old harsh monster, you know, the God of the Old Testament, thinking about the fathers. You see how far they are removed from the truth and the light? And many of us are going back into that very vomit and thinking they're all good Christians. Anyway, this is what Moses is saying. I make this covenant. That is, God is making this covenant. And Moses is a mediator. You see, like later on, with a new testament, with a new covenant, new marriage, where Christ becomes the mediator, uh, because now he's, you know, they, they become the, the children of God. Well, before that, they dealt only with the one that came and married them. Now they're going to become directly the children of the Father that begot him also, and he became his son. All of us are going to go through the process with Christ being the firstborn. And so that's what Moses is talking about here. And so we continue in uh, chapter, well, let's, let's continue with verses uh, 22 and 29, in Deuteronomy 29. In verse 22, Moses says, Speaking about the future, because talking about all the covenant and the curses and the adversity that is coming upon Israel, and it says in verse 22, so that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner, see, God is always including uh, individuals, who comes from far land, uh, would say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does, it bear, nor does uh, any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, at Mount Zoim, those are the four cities, and the little one, uh, Toar, uh, around the city of Sodom and Gomorrah that got destroyed, uh, overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this his, this great anger mean. In other words, Moses is speaking about the end time. Because when Israel was taken to captivity, the land was still fertile. That's why the king of Assyria transplanted some of the Babylonians to live in that land. And when the people of Judah were brought back, part of them, the land was still fertile. And it was fertile even after the Rome, uh, after the Roman Empire ruled that land. It's only later on uh, that became less and less. But this condition that he's describing here, that's yet something to come in the future. We're going to have nuclear holocaust and uh, utter destruction. And it's at that time that people will wonder. Verse 24, all nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of, his, of this great anger mean? And what he had to read into that is not only is not only the anger of God, but also the mercy of God and the grace of God. That in spite of his anger, he will still take them back to himself. And this is what the nations have never understood, who followed that false counterfeit church. 
thinking, well, he hated them so much, and now we become his people, and they are no longer his people, they're all lost. See, that's total ignorance. We must not be a part of that ignorance or deception. Verse 25, then the people would say, because they had forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, uh, the eternal their God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he did it in Sinai, and he did it 40 years later, and he did it again and again and again. He renewed that covenant in generations to come. You see, as they, as they came back to him, he had to renew that covenant with them, because they were all a part of it, as Moses said. All of you stand here, and those who don't, until the end of time. And so, God is very angry with them. Verse 26, For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that did not know, and that he had not given to them. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. You see? And yet, in spite of that, in spite of that, God is going to bring them back to himself. He is not going to utterly uh, destroy them. And so that is very important also to realize that. Some people forgot that and they don't realize that, yes, God punishes people. You know, he didn't like what they, what they were doing. He threw them into captivity, but that's not the end of the road. And so it says in verse uh, 27, the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. As Daniel mentioned later on, Daniel chapter 9, verse 11, and when he confessed the sins of his, himself, his father, Israel, the forefathers of Israel, he said, we all, uh, all sinned and all the curses that he spoke of in uh, the book of the law through Moses came upon us. But the ultimate is still coming in the future, the trouble of Jacob. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and he's going to do it again in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. Actually, the one who is writing this is Ezra. You see? Because they were not obviously thrown in, uh, out of the land and those punishments didn't come upon them in the days of Moses. So, that's in addition into the future. Uh, and that's, in essence, a statement that Moses is making here also uh, and Ezra is sort of rounding, you know, certain statements, like about the death of Moses. But anyway, Moses is speaking about the time when the nations will say that. At the end of time, in specific. And then he adds, verse 21, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. You know, the mystery of ages. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Not say it's done away with. You see, not say, well, I'm spiritual. I don't need to keep the Sabbath. Or I don't need to, uh, I don't need to worry about clean and unclean. And so forth. When you start breaking one, then you break a second one, then pretty soon you end up breaking most all, all of them. And some still deceive themselves that they're doing great. And God warned us not to be that kind of people. Now let's go to chapter uh, 30 of Deuteronomy. You see, all those things are extremely important for us to reorient our minds and cleanse our minds and our hearts from deception of 2,000 years. And so begin to see what is it the apostles were writing about? What is so-called the New Testament all about? What is the mind of God about the true church? And what is not? 
And then, when we come back to the law, then it will make sense why we need to study the law. The law of God. In chapter 30, because some people, you know, had no, no, no appreciation for the law of God. As soon as they hear about it, they hate it. Well, that's what Paul said. The carnal man is enmity against God. It is an enemy of God. So how can you claim to be a people of God if you're carnal? And you hate the law of God. You see? That's what Paul is saying. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And if we want to be spiritual, we have to repent. Isn't Paul said, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, soul under sin. But how? Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Well, I said, I think the Lord God, Jesus Christ, you know, is going to deliver me. Well, how? By putting his spirit in me, his nature in me, yes, Lord Attitude in me, obedience to the law of God in me, and that's how. So in chapter 30 we continue to read. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, that is, the blessing of the curse, which I have said before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you are still dispersed throughout the whole world, that's where Israel is, so speaking about the end time, verse 2, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. Was Moses done away with? A lot of people say yes. Now we're under the New Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. Where did they get this idea from? From the false church. From the counterfeit church. From Babylon. Out of which God says, come out of Babylon or else. And so he said, you're going to obey this voice at the end of time, which I commend you today. Moses is relevant. That's a modern teaching, old teaching, in-between teaching. That's eternal teaching. Time has nothing to do with it. And he says, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, if you do those things, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. And we're in captivity, and we're going to go back into captivity, even from the lands in which we are today. And that includes even those who are in the land of Israel. God will bring you back from captivity, and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So people don't need to worry about conspiracy theories, and all the things that people are worried about. God is the one behind it, and he cannot resist God. And you cannot rebel against God. And if God wants to send you to captivity, you will go into captivity, whether you're righteous or not. He sent righteous Daniel and others into captivity, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah later on. All of them went into captivity. When it is the will of God, that's what Jeremiah had to tell the people of his day. And God told him to say that. That, sir, that Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, and don't you worry there about conspiracy theory. I raised him. And he's going to come and you better submit to him and he's going to take you into captivity. And if you behave yourself, I'll give you favor in his sight and the sight of his people. And things will be well with you. And so people are all bugged up, you know, and worried about conspiracy theories, about this, about that. Forgetting, forgetting who is behind it. God is behind it. Not any president, not any United Nation, not any uh, whatever. God is behind it. Let's not rebel against our God. And if he takes us into captivity, let the will of God be done. Because that's his will. 
That's why is God telling us later on, through the Apostle Paul and many others, do not resist the powers that be, because they are ordained of God. And some people don't believe it. Some people claim to be servants of God. People of God, they don't believe it. So they try to do everything they can to resist that power. We're not talking about resisting the evil that is in them, as God calls it evil, but the rule, God imposed it upon all of humanity because we rebelled against God, just like in the days of Saul. And so, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Whatever evil they do to us that is not right, God will take care of that. We don't have to be rebel rousers. And so God tells his people, through Moses, yes, all these evil leaders that God I'm going, that God himself is going to raise, they're going to come after you, but it is from me, and they'll take you into captivity, and it is from me, because I want you to come to uh, your senses, totally rely on me, and wait on me, and obey my voice and commandments. And verse 4, and if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the eternal, your God, will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Did God ever forsake his people, Israel? Never. Then the Lord your God, verse 5, will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. That is all of you, all of Israel, not just few here and there, down the road, as it did in the past, as it did 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, as many as few of them began, and then more and more, into what became later on the state of Israel. Now he's talking about the entirety of them. God never forsook them, never rejected them. They still have a purpose to fulfill. And you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. That's what the new covenant is all about. Jeremiah 31, 31. And in Hebrews, Paul is speaking about that and all the other prophets. And the disciples thought that was coming in their day. And it was 2,000 years down the road. And so he says, the Lord your God will. You know, he's the one who's going to do it. He's going to circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants by pouring the Holy Spirit upon you. And he will do it to love the Lord so that you may love the Lord your God, the eternal your God, with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live and not die. Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And certainly they're going to do an awful lot of that. And that's what you read in Jeremiah chapter 30. About all the enemies of God that are going to, to, to uh, bring much destruction on the people of God. Today, physical people, many of them rebellious people. Many of them live in the land that he brought them back to be a light to the nations, give them an opportunity and to prepare the way for his second coming. And the majority of them are rebellious people. And yet God is going to have mercy on them. And is going to destroy all those who have destroyed them, who have uh, persecuted them, took them into captivity, even though he raised them to begin with. Verse 8, And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments. Mitzvot in Hebrew, which is a name that is a generic name that means everything, everything that God told you to do. That's a command. That's what they call the Tariyad Mitzvot, the 613 commandments. Because when that time comes, the temple is going to be rebuilt, and so a lot of those things uh, will be there, just like they were in time of old. One judge or one title, is more, as Christ said, will not pass from the law until all things be fulfilled. You've got to read the whole story, not just partial truth. 
That's how people get deceived and deceive others. And so he said, you shall, you will again, you will, whether you like it or not, you're going to be that way. Obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. And the eternal your God will make you abound in all the work of your hands, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good, for the eternal will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Verse 10, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, say the eternal your God, to keep his commandments, not the ten only, his commandments, and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 11, for this commandment which I command you, I don't suggest that, I command you. See, in the name of God he could. I command you this, you, uh, today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. And that is something that later on was going to be magnified by the Apostle Paul, where he's talking about far beyond just the physical understanding of the law, but the spiritual concept that is epitomized by the one who came in the flesh, who is the epitome of the Word of God. And so Moses is telling them, knowing about this coming uh, Savior, as God told him very plainly, a prophet like unto you, I shall raise unto your people, and anybody, anybody who doesn't obey him is going to be destroyed. So this is what he's talking about. The ultimate, the, you know, the epitome of the, the, of the Word of God, of the Spirit of the law, which is in the person, embodied in the person, of the one that became the Redeemer of Israel. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will descend, who will ascend into heaven, because since no man ascends unto heaven, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. And all of, it, all of them knew at the time, nobody goes to heaven. See, that false doctrine entered into the Jewish community. Uh, but it's 1,500 years down the road. And now became, uh, uh, in the past uh, 2,000 years, a part of uh, what is called Judaism. And most people who are born into it think, well, that's true. Well, that's not true. As I mentioned earlier before, I covered that thoroughly. Verse 13, Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that you may hear it and do it? You know, in other words, all those things, you know, what can I do, huh? And Moses says, no, you don't have to worry about it. It's right there in your mouth. Verse 14, but the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And on that own poem in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 8, he's, he's mentioning that, uh, explaining the, the magnification of this, the real meaning of it, what Moses said in mind, he's speaking about God himself. When he is in your heart, literally, then... That becomes your nature. And verse 16, In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, the eternal Lord God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the eternal your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And that goes on into the future. That goes also for the kingdom of God to come. You see, it's all in one package. 
And that's why it's important for us, you know, as we go through this, uh, through this to realize all these things. After all, the subject that we are dealing with, nine specific, is within the body of the law, as we are going through it, verse by verse, is also some subjects here and there that uh, need to be covered in a thorough way, is this question that we had before us. Who and what is the church of God, the true church of God? What are the laws of this church? What is the code of behavior? You see, some people forgot that, and they have bits and pieces of that. So a lot of people believe in Christ, but they don't believe what he says. A lot of people believe in Christ and believe some of the things that he says, but not everything that he says. And we have to have the totality of it, and Moses is making it very plain. And God at the end of time, giving us a message, a warning to this final generation. And he's saying, you either remember the law of Moses, my servant, and all the statutes which I commanded him and gave him to all of Israel, or else. So we need to answer the entirety of the question, not bits and pieces only. A lot of people nowadays, because, you know, the reason why we have so many so-called churches of God, because we're all you know, picking bits and pieces here and there, and each one chooses what, what is going to obey, what is not. And so obviously we're going to have div uh, divisions and confusion, Babylon, in our midst. Moses made it very plain. And unless you go through this book from the beginning until the end, word for word, you will never know the whole picture. You will never get all the puzzle. You will never get all the pieces. You will never get the pattern. You will never know how to put it together and get the right picture that God wants us to get. And that's very important to do it. And people have not been taught to do that. You know, much of the preaching that is being done is a little bit here and a little bit there. And who can remember that? Short time, you know, sometimes 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour later, and nobody remembers what they heard. All they may remember, it was a good sermon. Let's go to chapter 31 in Deuteronomy, where we read what... Uh, actually, let's go to uh, chapter 32. Uh, in chapter 32, Moses is giving a, sort of a discourse to Israel, which God gave him, and God told him uh, to give it to the children of Israel that will be a witness against them, and that was recorded, and that is being read in the synagogue every Sabbath, and to this very day, at least one community, one part of the tribes of Israel is reading it, others are reading it sometimes, here and there, but this is what God told, uh, told uh, Moses to do. He told him, take this book of the law, as you read earlier in chapter 31, verse 26, take this book of the law, and put it beside the ark of the covenant uh, of the Lord your God, that became the ark of the testimony, that it may be there as a witness against you. See, the concept of the witness, witnesses, body of witnesses. And the part of the, of the, of the church is the book itself of the head, the law, the law of Moses, and all the prophets, and all the writings, and all the writings that came later on after that, after the prophets, after John. All that is a witness for us and against us. And we ourselves, as we believe it and walk in it and do it, we become a, a living witness. And that's what the Church of God concept is all about. And so this is what God told him. You take that book and put it in there to be as a witness against them. For I know, speaking about Israel, I know you're rebelling, you're stiff-necked. If today, while I am alive with you, Moses is saying, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? God knew it. Moses knew it, he warned them about it, he told them about it, he had it recorded, they read it every Sabbath day, and they do it anyway. And so, 
he knew that they're going to corrupt themselves and he told them, well, you, you, you take this song and you read it to them. And so in chapter 32 we read what Moses is saying. In the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, that is Adat Israel, that is the congregation of God, the, the church of God, uh, this song that God gave him. Verse 32, I'm in chapter 32, in verse 1, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. You see, a generation may come, a generation may go. As Christ said, but my word shall be there forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall be there forever. So, physically speaking, a generation can come, a generation can go, but the heaven and the earth will constantly be there as a witness. So he's using sort of, sort of, uh, not eternal, because heaven and earth are not eternal, but at least those things that last much, much, much longer than man as a witness. And this is what Moses is telling them, and he wants them to, uh, to remember that. And so in verse 9, this is what he's saying to them. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. That is the land of Jacob. That is Jacob himself. Nobody else. You see, the portion of the Lord is his people. And that people is Jacob. Always is, will be. And then in verse 15. That is in spite of all their problems. The people of God are the inheritance of God. And speaking about the descendants of Jacob and the ones that grafted to them later on. And so in, in, in uh, verse 15, even though they are the portion of Jacob, uh, the portion of God, the inheritance of God, the people of God in whom God dwells, the only family of, who, uh, of all the earth that God chose, yet they had a lot of problems. So in verse 15 we read, but Yeshurun, you see Yeshurun, you know, Jeshurun. In English, every uh, every time you see J, it's Ye. It's not Jerusalem, it's Yerushalayim. Yeru means city, Jeru doesn't. And Yeshurun comes from the word Yashar, which means righteous, straight. You see? So God called his people righteous. That's the name he also gave them. One of the names of Israel, righteous. Not because they are, but because God is going to make them. He's going to sanctify them by his righteousness, by his, by his law. And so, to this very day, when a Jew obeys any command, he gives thanks to God and blesses the name of God by saying, Blessed be thou, our God, King of the universe, that he has sanctified us with your law, with your Torah. That's where the righteousness comes. And so, Yeshurun grew, grew fat and kicked. And God says, you grew fat, you grew thick, you're obese. In other words, you got plenty of what I gave you, and I have no need for me. Then he forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation, as they have done, and they still do to this very day. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations that provoked him to anger, and today they've got new gods on the earth of their own making. And they call it a computer. Then they call it TV. Then they call it rock idols, sports idols, Hollywood idols, whatever it may be. Things they created with their own hands, you know. Weapons, airplanes, whatever. Movies. And this is what his people became. Verse 17. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. That's what God is saying about his own people, even in the wilderness. And later on in the future. To gods that did not know, to new gods, new arrivals, that your fathers did not fear. That is the fathers of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Of the rock 
who beguiled you, you are unmindful. And that's what Paul John told uh, the people who were not of the, of the commonwealth of Israel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you read about that. He said, you, you people, you know, you're in the church, but you are ignorant. You don't know the background. And I don't want you to be ignorant. And I want you to know something. That our fathers, not yours, but our fathers came through the wilderness. They came through the Red Sea. They were baptized unto Moses. You think you are the first people to be baptized? Our forefathers long ago, 1500 years ago, were already baptized. And they were baptized unto Moses in the water and the cloud. And they all ate that spiritual food, drank that spiritual drink, and they all followed that spiritual rock. And that rock, he said, was Christ. People don't know that. They think, well, God of the Old Testament is the Father. And Christ is the God of the New Testament. So they think we've got a new God. And so people in the Jewish community are confused about that. And they think, well, we've got our God, you've got your God. Oh, no. Moses makes it very plain. The one that came in the person of Jesus Christ is the very one that was leading Israel through the wilderness and married them. He's their rock. And he will come again, then all of them on both sides will know who he is. And so, the rock in verse 18, it says, Who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. You see, he was the father of Israel. He's not the father of all the nations of the earth. And when the Eternal saw it, he spurned them. Got angry at them. Because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. See, the people of Israel are his sons and his daughters. And if they are his sons and his daughters, and is their God, what are they but the church of God? They were, they are, they will be. And others are grafted into that commonwealth. And then obviously, ultimately, all the nations will become the children of this marriage. Between Israel and the rock who will come again, since he already died for them and redeemed them by his blood. And will redeem them again. And all those who will come in the second resurrection. And so, in verse 20, And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faith. And that's what the problem is. Paul said, finding no faith in them. You see, there was nothing wrong with the covenant. Because he found no faith in them, no matter what he did in front of their eyes, they still had no faith. He said, okay, I'm going to make now a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not with Poland or Russia or China, not with the so-called the church, but with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and this time I'm going to put faith in their minds and hearts, and they will know me that I am the Lord, and they would not rebel anymore. So, he says, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I, I'm going to, re, you know, retaliate. I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. So, I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Boy, did they get angry. When the disciples of Christ began to go to the nations, especially Paul and others, and many Jews, you know, were converted, were humble, but others got pretty angry and envious and jealous. And so even though they believed Paul, because of uh, their envy and anger, you know, uh, the others that were being grafted, individuals, not nations, uh, that totally rejected the faith and the truth. Where well, the majority, if not all of them, to this very day, could have been followers of Christ. And obedient to the law of Moses at the same time. And so, that's what God is saying to them. 
for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell, that is, to the grave. That means bring, you know, destroy all, all the evildoers, those who will rebel against me no matter what. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. And it's not speaking about going to hell. It's talking about the fact that God is going to finally burn everybody, everyone, everything that is contrary to him. And they will become ashes, as you read in Daniel. Not going to a lake of fire with a scream forever and ever in our life. But they will be dead because they're ashes. And ashes don't speak. Don't cry. Don't do anything. And so he makes it very plain. And then let's go to uh, to uh, uh, verses 36 and 43. Because see, that's not the end of the story. In 36, we read, For the Lord will judge his people. Did you read in Psalm 135 and verse 14? In other words, in spite of all their wickedness and my fear and my anger with them, I'm still going to judge them. You see, and that's what you read in essence in Psalm uh, 86 and verse 2. God judges in the midst of the, con- of the congregation. It says there in Hebrew, it's Adat. Adat El, the, ch- the, the body of witnesses, a congregation, uh, people of God. And he says, For the Lord, Moses, after all the fury that God is going to pour upon them and their wickedness and evil heart and all that, and rejection, ultimate murder, you know, of their own husband, so to speak, when he came in the flesh, he says, in spite of that, verse 36, for the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods? The rock in whom, in which they sought refuge, you know, the false religion they went into. And who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. In the past, they offered to idols. Nowadays, they've got new idols. Let them arise and help you and be your refuge. In other words, when he sends them into captivity again, as he did in the past, he told them, why do you cry to me? You rejected me. Now, go to your own idols. See if they'll help you. Because he wants them to learn a lesson and come back to him with their whole heart. And so that is important for them to, to go through this uh, experience. And since we are reaching the end of the tape, I'll stop at this point saying again, uh, greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.